0: Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayers that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. I want to welcome you here. Thank you for coming in person and watching online as we're in the midst of a series that we're calling 40 Days of Prayer. And right now, if you're kind of following the church calendar, you know that we are in a season called Lent. And Lent is a time of reflection. It's a time of preparation for Easter where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And so in preparation, we have been kind of slowly walking through what's known as the Lord's Prayer Pattern. Uh, you know, the disciples once went to Jesus and said, Jesus, you are so good at praying. Like, we for us, it doesn't feel like it works. It's kind of laborious. Can, can you help teach us how to pray, Jesus? And Jesus is giving them a masterclass on how to pray. And so we've been kind of working through each of the Lord's Prayer clauses starting last week. And one of the things that I shared last week was, think about the Lord's Prayer as like hyperlinks. You guys know what a hyperlink is? Like on a website or on your phone, you, you click on a hyperlink and it opens up a whole new webpage or opens up an image and kind of helps you see more and so each of these phrases in the Lord's prayer pattern opens up uh, you know more kind of possibilities for us to kind of dig into and i think i have some good basis for this because when you look at how the rabbis taught in the first century they would often do that and jesus was a rabbi he was a radical rabbi in the first century what, G- what rabbis would do is they would say a phrase they would say a sentence and their disciples knew that it was referring to other parts. Parts of the scriptures. And so Jesus is, pre- is preaching and teaching in the same way as a first century rabbi. And so I'm excited today about diving into this clause, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because like I said, it's a small phrase, but it has some big implications for our lives and for our city and for our world. But before we do that, I want to let you know of an opportunity that we have coming up. Uh, Many of you know this, that on April 9th, we will be celebrating Easter Sunday here. And uh, Easter, again, it's a time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is like the biggest day on the Christian calendar, but also what's kind of interesting about this is that it does actually have a cultural significance. Easter is one of two or three days that people who are spiritually uninterested or spiritually curious will actually come to church. Uh, People that don't normally come to church, maybe church isn't their thing, but Easter, for whatever reason, they will come out to an Easter service. And so one of the things we want to do is we want to be prepared for God to bring guests, to bring new people, and that's why we're doing two gatherings. We want to make sure that we have capacity to welcome people who are searching or maybe asking questions about God or who are going to come because you invite them. But I also want to share with you that we have some other areas where we would love your help on Easter Sunday, and that is we need some areas where folks can maybe volunteer and serve, and one of those areas is City Kids. Uh, City Kids, you know, I know many of you have been benefiting from City Kids, but on Easter we're we're expecting an influx of a lot of new kids, many kids who've never heard the gospel, never been exposed to the gospel. So it's an opportunity for us as a church to roll out the red carpet and and welcome them. And so our City Kids leaders, they're looking for six adults and two teenagers that could possibly serve on Easter Sunday. And also we're looking for folks that would help on our greeting team. As, As we have two gatherings, we would love to have two teams of people to welcome people in as they're kind of coming in and trying to get settled. And so here's the ask. Here's the ask. It comes down to this. Would you consider attending one and serving one on Easter Sunday? We want you to attend, we want you to celebrate, but would you also consider serving on Easter Sunday, whether on one of our greeting teams or with our city kids, as a way to, again, engage folks who are going to be coming probably for the first time to church, or maybe the first time in a long time, an opportunity to welcome back prodigals who are finally making their way back home. So, if you're interested, I'd like to ask you to be praying about this, But if you are interested or you want more information, in the back area over here, in the welcome area, we have a clipboard that you can sign and you can put your information in what area you'd be willing to serve in. Or you can actually email me directly. I'm giving you my direct contact info, people. You can go to niffin at cityalliance.org. And one of the things that we want to do to maybe help things out, because I know that, you know, it's a crazy morning with your kids, is we are going to have a volunteer breakfast that morning. So if you're a volunteer that morning, you can kind of just get your kids here to church. We'll help with serving and feeding them. And like I said, if you're interested in serving, you can email me at nithin at cityalliance.org. Please don't spam me unless you really want to. But, you know, we'd love to have you serve with us. If you've never served with us, by the way, this is a great way for you to jump in and give it a try. Like, what's serving like here at City Lines Church? This is a great way if you've never been able to do that before. But I just want to say thank you in advance for joining us in our mission to reach the last, the least, and the lost. So thank you in advance. I know God is going to bring the right people to serve with us on Easter Sunday. All right, let's jump in. 40 days of prayer. Last week, we kind of kicked everything off by actually saying the Lord's Prayer together. You know, uh, many of us grew up in, in traditions where we grew up saying the Lord's Prayer every week. Maybe it was, uh, you know, Presbyterian, or it was Catholic, or, you know, Methodist. We grew up saying the Lord's Prayer together, and so during this series, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together in unison. So go ahead, I want to direct your attention to the screen here, and let's go ahead and repeat these words together. Ready? So like I said, we've been going through this clause by clause. Last week we talked about, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and how that phrase is a phrase of worship. And so when we come to prayer, we need to think about prayer as worship. It's this idea that we are magnifying the name of God. When our attention is on God and in his bigness and in his glory and how good he is, what happens is it actually shrinks some of the problems in our own lives. It actually right-sizes them when we realize that God is so much bigger than all the things that are kind of robbing us of joy and robbing us of those kind of things. And so, you know, one of the things that we kind of said that for you to get the most out of this series is for you to join a city group by actually also purchasing one of our group guides. We make these group guides available for five bucks. You can kind of take notes about what you're hearing on a Sunday morning, and then you can bring them into your city groups to discuss. So today we're going to be on page eight if you're taking notes here about kind of what we're going to be talking about here. And like I said, we are going to unpack this really small but very significant Phrase, which is this Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think what's beneficial for us to kind of slow down as we go through the Lord's Prayer is you could literally just say the Lord's Prayer in a matter of seconds. But if we slow it down and kind of marinate on these phrases, God may actually have something a little bit deeper for us to dig into. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to marinate on this phrase today because this phrase actually touches on one of the biggest themes that we see all throughout Scripture, and that is the theme of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, if you think about it like a diamond, like maybe you have a diamond ring on your finger right now, but you look at a diamond, you put it to the light, and there's so many different facets and angles that you kind of get a different glimpse of it. And that's what it's like to talk about, to teach through the kingdom of God. It literally starts in the book of Genesis and works all of its way through to the book of Revelation. Literally, this theme encompasses so much, and it's so wide, it's so vast. This probably needs its own kind of series that could literally go for like years. So we're just going to touch on a small element of this. But, you know, when we talk about kingdoms, right, it's not normal language that we use. We don't usually talk about kingdoms unless, you know, you're a scientist, you talk about the animal kingdom, or, you know, you watch epic fantasy, you know, then that's when we talk about kingdoms and castles and things like that. But, you know, how do we define what the kingdom of God is? And there's lots of definitions and lots of different scriptures we can have, but here's one definition that I like. It's written by a guy named D.J. Marota. He wrote a book called Liturgy in the Wilderness, which is about the Lord's Prayer. I want to use his definition. He says this, the kingdom of God is where God's will is enacted in every sphere of life. Spiritually, emotionally, politically, economically, socially, vocationally, etc. Let me pause for a minute there. Because often what we are taught, or what we, you know, sometimes think is the kingdom of God means heaven one day when we die. It's It's a future thing. And obviously, there's a future element to the kingdom of God, but there's also a here dimension. That's why when we pray, your kingdom come, there's an invitation that we want to bring God's will into our reality. That's why it's the idea of being enacted emotionally. We want God's kingdom into our emotions, politically, in our politics, our economics, our society, our vocation, our jobs. We want to invite God's kingdom to come into every area of our lives, Another way to think about it is the kingdom of God is anywhere where God is ruling, where God is reigning, where God is in charge, and his way happens unconditionally. But this kind of raises a a pretty significant question, Nathan, why don't we see God's will happening in our world? If God's kingdom isn't just something that's in the future, but something that impacts now, why aren't we seeing that happen? Why do we still see so much evil, so much suffering, so much injustice in our world today? And we see it not just like in these big macro things, but also personally. You know, I talk to some of you who are teachers, and you're like, you know, Nathan, I know I go into my school and I'm bringing God's kingdom with me, and I want to be a blessing to those kids. And so, you know, I'm speaking words of kindness to them. I'm coming alongside I'm helping them. I want them to thrive and flourish. But they go back to homes where literally all of the seeds I've planted in them get torn out, ripped apart through abuse and neglect. And I'm kind of wondering, God, where's your kingdom in that? I know that there's many of you here that you work in the hospital, whether it's in administration or, or as a doctor, and you got into that because you wanted to be a healer. You're like, you know what, God, like, you know, you, you're a healer. I see that in scripture. I want to be part of bringing hope and healing to people, but, but as you start kind of working your way through that system, you realize that it's more about the almighty dollar than people's health. And you get frustrated, and we see so many people in the medical field right now leaving just out of pure frustration because of just that mismatch of expectation and reality, or how about this? You have family members that don't know Jesus, and you've been praying for them for years, or friends, and, and rather than taking a step closer to Jesus, it just seems like they get further and further away from it. And you're like wondering, God, I know you love this person, I know you want them to come into your kingdom, but wh- where's the disconnect, God? Wh- why isn't it happening? And if you've ever wondered, like, what, what's, what's this gap between my expectation of God's kingdom and the reality, you're not, the only, you're not alone in this. Jesus' disciples wondered about that gap, too. And that gap is addressed in a story that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 13. Otherwise, feel free to follow along on the screen here. But, you know, Matthew, I like to say he was one of Jesus' OG disciples, right? He was one of the originals. Uh, Matthew wrote a biography about Jesus that we are going to look at. It's probably one of the longest uh, letters or books in the New Testament. But in this, he tells a story about kind of what the kingdom is like. There's lots of stories that Jesus tells about the kingdom. But here's one of the ones that Matthew tells. Starting in verse 24, it says this. Jesus told them another parable wait, pause for a second. Maybe the word parable is a word that's familiar to you, but a parable, it's actually Jesus' favorite way of teaching. What Jesus would do is he would take a deep truth, a big truth, and he would simplify it into a story that would actually open up some profound uh, meaning to it. And so this is what Jesus would do. He would take a story and you would break it down, and that's what he's doing with this um, parable. He's taking the idea of the kingdom of God and breaking it down into a story. He says this, the kingdom of heaven— Is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So, you know, when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the first century, you have to understand that if you're listening to this story, here's what you assume the kingdom of God is. It means that God is going to come down with an army. He's going to wipe out your enemies. In this case, it's the Romans. And he is going to set up his new rule, his new reign on earth. He's going to take Jerusalem back from the pagans, and he's going to let you rule next to him. That's literally what their mindset was. And so when Jesus starts this story by saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, they're already scratching their heads a little bit. Like, What are you talking about, Jesus? You see, Jesus is trying to communicate to them that my kingdom isn't the way you think of a kingdom. It is actually an upside-down kingdom. It's a different way of viewing the world. And so Jesus is kind of breaking this down. And like any good storyteller, Jesus now is inflicting some tension in the story. He's entering some conflict in here. He says this, he says, But while everyone is, was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So an enemy showed up and they sowed some weed in with the wheat. There's weed in with the wheat. And if you're a first century listener of Jesus, you're nodding your head right now because you know what this is like. Because we actually have written a record of farmers in the first century who are like, this rival farmer came into my farm and planted these weeds, these poisonous weeds that are sucking the energy out of my plant. So like, this is literally like a historical event that Jesus is referring to. And so as Jesus is kind of telling the story, he's breaking this down, these harmful weeds are in there, and so Matthew writes this, he says, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So the, you know, the farmhands are there, and they're looking around, and they're like, Well, okay, we got wheat, wait, what's all this other stuff? And they realize that there's wheat and there's weeds that are going on, and so they're like, what the heck? And so they go and talk to their boss and say, the owner's servants came to him and said, sir didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? He says, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go up and pull them up? So, so this is the scene, right? The, 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 um, the, the servants are like, hey, boss, listen, there's all these weeds everywhere. They're with the good wheat. What, 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 where did this come from? And he's like, well, listen. Just calm down. An enemy must have come and sowed the seed. This happens every once in a while. And so finally, the you know the servants are like, well, what do we do about this? Like, we can't just let let this, let this happen. So one of them's like, oh, I know what we got to do. Uh, uh, we got to whack out. We got to whack down the weeds. We we got to go take the weed whacker and just go to town and make sure all of them is over. That's what we got to do. At this point, the owner's like, uh, no. We're not going to do that because while you're weed whacking, you may root up the wheat with them. Essentially, what he's saying is this like, I know you want to mean well, you want to go in and kind of destroy everything, but if you do that, you're going to destroy the good wheat. So instead, here's what we're going to do. They, here's what we're going to do let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So this is kind of interesting here. Like, you know, when we're talking about weeds here, we're not talking about, you know, dandelions, right? Like the dandelions that are going to be on our lawn in a couple of months in spring. He's talking about a very specific one called a Darnell plant, um, also known as a tear. And if you're wondering what's the big deal, what's the difference, here's a picture of wheat and here's a picture of Darnell. The weed. They look almost exactly alike. And so literally, when they're in the same, uh, you know, seedbed, they're growing up together. And you can't tell the difference until that wheat matures. Until that wheat turns into that golden brown that we normally know as wheat. And then you can tell. And then you can pull it out. And then you can figure things out. And so uh, that's essentially the story that Jesus is telling And so finally the crowds kind of go away, and they're kind of scratching their heads going, I don't know if I understand what God's kingdom is like, and they're kind of, you know, sitting and pondering on this. And the disciples are a little bit like, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about in this story. Like, can you break this down for us? And so this is what Jesus says a couple verses later. He says this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Now, Son of Man is actually a title that Jesus uses to refer to himself. He, he gets it from the book of Daniel. That's, that's where, kind of, where, where he gets this reference from. But you know, in this entire little sermon, he says, Jesus says, The field is the planet Earth. The good seed are my children. Followers of Jesus. Followers of God. The weeds are the children of the devil. Now, I know some of you hear the word devil and you're like, oh, that's getting a little kind of spooky. Like, I don't know if I'm really comfortable, you know, going into that. Well, that's okay. We're not going to talk about the devil this week. In two weeks, though, when we talk about lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So I'm not going to say too much about that, but we'll talk about that in another couple of weeks. But real quick, I'll just say this, is that there is a personal dimension to evil that the Bible talks about. In this personal dimension of evil, it literally is resisting it the advance of God's kingdom on earth. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here in this moment. And so what, what, what Jesus is saying here is like, listen, I'm not going to bring automatic and instant judgment right now. I'm going to wait. He says this here in verse 41, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. So, you know, when you and I pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, it's not just a present reality. We're looking to a future hope. we're looking to a time where Jesus will one day come back and establish his kingdom and we'll see it, and it'll be visible. He will literally take apart the systems of oppression and injustice that are in our world today. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, yes, I can't wait for that day to come. That day could not come any sooner. Like, we need God's kingdom to come now and set the world right. But maybe there's some of you that you hear that, or you're watching online, and you feel a little nervous. Because maybe for you, you're wondering, am I wheat? Or am I a weed? Like, like, am I going to get whacked by God at some point because, because something's going wrong in my life? Like, am I a weed? Or am I weed? Like, I don't know. And if that's where you are today, if you're not sure, I've got good news. Because I'm going to give you an opportunity where you can actually make a decision where you want to land on that. See, Jesus has a history of taking weeds and turning them into wheat. And you'll have, an op- you have an opportunity to step into that to step into God's forever family, to enter into his kingdom. But if you're here today and you're considering that or you're watching online, I want to share with you three tensions about the kingdom of God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you know about these tensions. I'm going to remind them to you. If you're kind of considering that, I want you to know what, what these tensions are about. But the first tension that we see in this passage is this, is that God allows good and evil to coexist on earth. He allows that all to coexist together. You know, in this story, the farmer discovers that an enemy has sown these seeds into the ground. And so what does he say? He says, let them both grow together. Let the good seed and the bad seed grow together. Now, can I just say, like, you know, if in heaven, if, if God was, like, trying to make a decision, and he said, Nathan, what do you think I should do? I said, you know what, God? Those people, they, they, they're the worst. They suck. You should just get that weed whacker and just whack them down, right? Like, if you know, people are awful, take him out, start from scratch, we put some new seed down, put some like, you know, manure, all that stuff, and it's going to be great. But for whatever reason, in God's infinite mercy, in his infinite wisdom, he said, no, 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 I I don't want to do that. Because you see, in my mind, you know what I would do? I'd want to get rid of all the bad people, all of my enemies, all the people that I disagree with. But here's the thing, and this is one of the messages of the kingdom that I think we need to be aware of, is we don't always know who the good seed and the bad seeds are. Sometimes the very people that we look at and we think, oh man, they are truly children of the devil. God does a work in their life. Transforms them. He moves them from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. We do not know who God is going to work in those ways. Because remember, God can take weeds and turn them into wheat. But that's what he does. In fact, I love this quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He says this: "The line between good and evil runs not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart." You see, in some ways, we have weeds and wheat within us, and that's why, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need the mercy and the grace of God. Amen. That's something that doesn't change; that doesn't shift. And so, you know, in our own humanity, in our own limited way of seeing things, we would love to just mow everything down. But in God's mercy and his grace, he's like, not yet. Which brings us to the second tension we see, which is we're called to wait patiently in an impatient world. God's calling you and I to be patient in the midst of so much impatience. Because the truth is, we want the same thing that the people in the first century wanted, right? This is what they wanted in a Messiah. They wanted a John Wick Jesus, You know what I'm saying? They literally wanted the Messiah. They wanted Jesus to come in and just cut everyone down that didn't agree with them, that didn't like them, and then they would be free to kind of do whatever they want. Because, you know, John Wick Messiah is on my side. But part of that is also we live in a world where our convenience is prioritized, isn't it? Think about it. We have two-day shipping with Amazon. Like, literally, like, before I put what I'm looking for in Google, the ads start to show up. Like, I don't know what kind of witchcraft that is, but that's that's just the reality that we live in. And so we want God, we want you to get rid of evil, we want your kingdom to come, we want all this stuff to happen now, now, now. We want the imminence of it all. You see, but the kingdom of God is more like a crock pot than a microwave. It slowly is working its way into our world. If we want to see God's rule and God's reign, we need to understand that process. That's why Jesus says things aren't going to be made right until the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, And they will weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Not now, not tomorrow, but at the end of history. Because God wants each and every person to have the opportunity to be rescued out of eternal darkness. Peter, one of Jesus' first apprentices, uh, was saying this to his church. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. By the way, the promise here is the return of Christ. Because at, the point, at this point they're experiencing some intense persecution, he says. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Listen, if you're a follower in Jesus in this room, you know your own issues in your life, amen. And your God is patient with you. And there's people in our world who are far from God, and He is patient with them. He is at work in their lives in ways we can't even see. And he is working in their lives because, remember, he takes weeds and he transforms them into wheat. That's what he wants to do. God wants to take his enemies and transform them into sons and daughters to take them out of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. When you and I pray, God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a crockpot prayer. It's a prayer where we're willing to wait for God to bring about his kingdom. Is justice, and to see as many people as possible come to Christ, which really introduces this third and final tension that we see in this passage, which is this. The kingdom is inward and outward. You know, there's actually a debate among Christians whether, you know, Nathan, in fact, I had a conversation with someone this week. The kingdom of God, it's, it's just spiritual. Like, it's just about, you know, you and Jesus and getting to heaven. Like, that's it. Like, it's not about all this other stuff. And then there's another tension where another group of Christians, said, it's not about that, that's so individualistic. It, it, it's about, you know, break, it's, it's about working with systems and, and, and changing the world in these big kind of macro ways. And so there's this debate that kind of happens over that. And here's the thing, is we do see a personal spiritual dimension when we talk about the kingdom of God. I mean, look what it says here in verse 42. It says, they will throw them, talking about the angels, into the fiery furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a rescue mission where God is trying to rescue people who are far from Him to bring them into His kingdom, to bring them into His love. So there is a spiritual dimension that one day all of us will face judgment for our sins. But when you look at the life of Jesus, there is also a nowness, an imminence in what He does. Jesus heals the sick. He, he, he heals the blind. He heals the lame. He, he's able to do all those things. He gives dignity to those who've lost dignity, those who've been pushed to the, to the margins of society. Jesus reintegrates them into society. And I think one of the things that we need to understand is that there is a really real tension and a powerful tension between these two things, the spiritual The kingdom is spiritual. It's about helping people turn away from God. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Turn back to me. There's a spiritual dimension, but there's also a social dimension. There's a dimension where God has called you and I who are transformed people to be agents of transformation and change in the world that we live in. There is a reason why, if you look at the history of the church in the 18th and the 1900s, that whenever there is a great move of God where people come to Christ, surrender their lives to him, repent of their sins, that the next thing that happens is great social change. If you think of any great movement of social change, whether it's the civil rights movement or the women's suffrage movement, all of those movements first came out of the church because we understand that when there is spiritual transformation, it leads to societal transformation as a sign that the kingdom of God is breaking into our world. Let me kind of maybe, maybe let, me, let me share it about it this way. Some of you guys know that I had, um, I had knee surgery this, this past fall. It was supposed to be a one and done. Um, it was so much fun the first time. I did it two more times. Um, you, know, I, you know, so you know, the first time they do it, you know, I take, you know, take the staples out, things like that, and I noticed that the wound was still open. It was kind of goopy. It was kind of oozy. Anybody want to see a picture of it? I'm just—one <laughs> person said, thanks. I think—no mean, no pictures. So, you know, you know, and it's hurting, and it's all this. So I'm taking a bunch of ibuprofen. I'm changing the bandage every single day because, you know, it's just, it's just oozy and goopy all over everything. And finally, I go to the doctor. He says, listen, like— We got to take care of that. And so what does the doctor do? You know, he schedules another operation. He takes out the pin that was inside that was infected so that my body can heal the way it was meant to heal. And then the pain went away, and then the oozing and, and all that goopy stuff went away. I think that's the tension about the inward and the outward nature of the kingdom. The inward nature is this, is like, you know, that infected pin was like sin, as long as that infected pin was in my leg I was still going to feel pain. I was still going to have all the infection and all that stuff happening. So when that pin was removed I was able to actually be able to be healed. I was able to finally, you know, not need all the, the pain medication or all the bandages. Think about sin like that infected pin. Once sin is removed, that's what the kingdom of God has come. That's what Jesus came to do. he came to remove sin. But also the effects of sin, the symptoms of sin, what sin has done into our world. So that's like the pain, and that's you know the um, the infection and things like that. It's a both and. It's not something that we need to pick one or the other. Yes, the kingdom of God has come to change individuals from the inside out. God wants to make sons and daughters out of His enemies. But once we become sons and daughters, we become agents of transformation in the kingdom of God. Amen. He's called us to go to our places of work. Our schools, our hospitals, our offices, or if it's our kids that we care for because we're stay-at-home parents and bring the kingdom of God to them and work for change where we are. So, because here's the tension, right? Yeah, we want to work our best to make sure that there's no poverty. We want to do our best to make sure that there's no racism or sexism or, you know, systemic oppression. But here's the thing, those things will never fully be gone in this world. That's why we look to when Jesus comes back and he will set the world right. We live in that tension because that's what it is, the tension that we live in that we need to step into. That's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in Williamsport as in heaven. This is kind of like our our catchphrase as a church. We've said this since the beginning. that We want to say yes. We want to see God bring sons and daughters. We want to see prodigals come home. We want to see people's lives changed by being touched by Jesus. But we want to see those lives be agents of transformation and change in their businesses, in the places that they work, and and wherever God puts them. So like I said, if you're a stay-at-home parent, you're doing kingdom work, raising your kids to love God, but also love people that you bring them around. And as you're with other parents, whether at the playground or at the park, you can actually be sharing kingdom life with them as you encourage them and pray for the people that are around you. Or maybe you work in an environment, maybe you're an employer, and you create an environment where your employees, maybe they're not believers, but they can flourish. They can actually pay their bills, and they're actually encouraged. They look forward to coming to work. And then when you have opportunities, you share your faith with them, and you help them take steps to know Jesus. That's the kingdom coming, the spiritual and the social dimension coming together. See, here's the thing, is that God wants to not just transform our heads and our hearts, but also our hands. To do the work of the kingdom wherever he has placed you in whatever season he's placed you. I don't know, what, I just feel like the Lord wants to say, if, if you're retired, God is not done with you. I just feel like, I don't know where that came from. If you're retired and you're like wondering, am I done? No, you're not done, you're just getting started. God has got a unique call in your life in this new season that you don't need to be afraid of. You need to step into it. Because his kingdom doesn't stop when your work stops. He's got new work for you to bring into the new world. So I want to talk to two groups of people today. I know that there's some of you here, and you're kind of wondering, am I a weed that's about to get whacked? Or am I wheat? And maybe you're watching online, and maybe that's been something that you've been wrestling with. Maybe you're just not sure. I want to let you know that today you can know for sure that you're wheat. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray with me a prayer. There's nothing magical about it, but it's simply a prayer of surrender. It's a way for you to say, you know what, God, I, I surrender. I- I'm not going to be in charge of my life. I'm not going to be in charge of making things happen. I'm going to let you be in charge. I'm going to let you be the one that transforms my heart and my soul, my-, my head, my heart, and my hands. And as he does that, he will use you to be an agent of change and transformation around you. But it begins when you make that decision to surrender. Would you bow your heads with me, church? Maybe some of you, I'm just getting the sense, maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you've walked away from God. And maybe you think, I, I must be i must a weed. But I believe Jesus is inviting you to come. The prodigals are always welcome home. Maybe you need to pray this prayer as a prayer of rededication and before we pray this prayer I want to ask you to do something that's, that's kind of bold if you're watching online I want to ask you to do something similar but if you feel like I need to pray this prayer I need to take this step I just want to ask you to put your hand up it's just a way for between you and God to say I'm taking this step I'm moving in this direction can I see your hand you can put them down I want you to pray this prayer with me in fact I want to invite you to pray it with me out loud in fact can we all pray this out loud together so no one feels alone let's all repeat after me Lord Jesus I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior I've been doing things my own way and I want to come back to you give me your Holy Spirit fill me with your peace Fill me with your purpose. Transform my heart and transform my hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a praise for you, brothers and sisters in the faith? Welcome back. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk with you about what your next steps are online. You can uh, message me. But I want to talk to another group of you, and that's those of you who know Jesus, and maybe you lived in that tension. But you've gone one direction or the other. Maybe you've said, Nathan, it's all social. Or, you know, Nathan, it, it's all spiritual. But Jesus wants to bring you into the radical middle of both. It's spiritual and it's social. It impacts both areas. And one of the ways that we see God's kingdom break through is through healing. Uh, we see God bring healing in, in our world, whether it's supernaturally or through kind of the the, the efforts that we see. And I want to share with you something that God did. Um, a few weeks ago, I think many of you know uh, Maddie Fosnott. She's in our church, and she had a kidney transplant. And, you know, she's been trying to, she's been praying for her white blood cell count to go up. And I was talking with her dad over breakfast. He's like, you know, Nathan, can you pray that, you know, my daughter would be healed? And I said, I'll pray for her, but can we take a step of faith and what if we actually invited her to come and receive prayer with our elders? And he said, we're doing it. And so Maddie came up for prayer a couple weeks ago and we prayed, he said, in the name of Jesus, we pray that your body would align. We pray that the white blood cell count would come up and that you you would experience God's peace in the midst of this. And um, I wanna share with you, this is really cool. I saw this on Facebook. I figure if it's on Facebook, I can share it in church. <laughs> so be careful what you share on Facebook. <laughs> But well, here's what uh, her mom posted. She goes, do you see it? I couldn't believe my eyes. For the first time in seven years, Maddie had a normal kidney function panel. And so there she received prayer and the anointing of the sick at City Alliance Church. Maddie was prayed for over by family and friends. Fast forward to Wednesday. She went to give weekly labs and her kidney function panel looked amazing. Transplant is wonderful. God is good. So grateful for his love. Can we just give God a praise for that? that? God is good. We serve a God that heals, and he's not done. We're gonna keep praying for Maddie. We're gonna pray, keep praying that that white cell count goes up. And I feel like for some of us in this room, maybe there's an area that God wants to heal you. Maybe it's an emotional wound, maybe it's a physical wound. But maybe one of the things that God is waiting for you to do is to take a step of faith and say, you know what, Nathan, I can't do this on my own. I need God's people to pray with me, to take this burden to Jesus with me. So I would encourage you, if you need prayer, even if you feel like it's a small thing, it's not a big deal. God wants to meet you today. If you prayed to receive Jesus today, come and tell someone on our prayer team. We'd love to help you take your next steps so you can grow in your faith. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.